0: Man, as you're being seated, if you'll go ahead and find your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. Last Sunday, my wife Stacy was out of town, and so that that's quite an adventure when you have three kids at seven, five, and one. I was playing Mr. Mr. Mom, I guess, if you will, and but we had, we tried to have a lot of fun with it. I I called it Daddy and the Three Amigos weekend, and we did all sorts of things and ran them ragged. It was it was a lot of fun. We I. I actually enjoy spending time with my kids. But uh, as we were leaving church last Sunday, we decided that we were going to cook. And so we wanted to cook Mama's famous chicken and dumplings recipe. Only problem is, is that I didn't have the the recipe. So my five-year-old says she knows how to do it. So I, I quiz her, and it sounds like she's got it under control. So she and I, we go into the kitchen, and we're, we're, we're cooking. We've got the pot. We've got the water boiling. She's making dumplings over here, and I'm cutting up chicken, and we put the soup in the pot, and then we put the chicken in the pot, and then we put the dumplings in the pot, and everything's smelling good and looking good, and, and we, we, are, we are in business. But then I start looking at the chicken and dumplings, and I, I realize that that Stacy's chicken and dumplings have a little bit of a yellow tint to it, and mine is like white and gray, and hers is a little bit thick, and mine's like soup, and so McKenna and I are doing taste tests, and something's just not right. So finally, uh, I look in the cabinet, and and I discover sitting right there that Stacy had left two cans of cream of chicken soup. And the problem was that instead of cream of chicken, we had put in cream of mushroom. Uh, don't do that. That, that kind of messes up the whole recipe. So we drained it all, and we put the cream of chicken in. And once I got that missing ingredient in the chicken and dumplings, uh, at that point, we got about 90% there. I mean, it was edible. It tasted pretty good. But we had to find that missing ingredient. You know, a lot of people wonder. Why is it that my, my children are so disrespectful? Why is it that my spouse doesn't show me more affection? Why does it seem as though our family uh, relationships and our attitude within our home, it just seems like there's so much anger and, and kind of cynicism in our home, and, and it just seems like there's something missing, there, there's a missing ingredient somewhere. And so we start going down our checklist. Well, do we have love? Yeah, we've got love. Check that one off. Do we we have commitment? Yeah, we, we, we're committed to each other, so check that off. Do do we have the stuff we need? Yeah, we've got a nice house, car, food, everything that we we really need, and so check that off. are, are we doing the things like are we teaching right and wrong and, and valuing God in our home? Are we going to church? Yeah, we're we're doing all that. So so check that off. Are we making sure that we raise our children to love the cowboys and and uh cheer for them? Well yeah, we're we're doing that. So check that one off and then for some reason it keeps disappearing it keeps getting overturned but but you know we're we're doing everything that we were supposed to do but it just seems like somewhere along the way something's missing what is that that missing ingredient well in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 here's what the scriptures say show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Now, those of you in the church who are hugger muggers, this is your verse. Some of you like to hug and, and show a lot of affection, and, and this is your verse that you can frame and you can put up on the refrigerator. The Bible says it's okay to show. Family affection to one another with brotherly love. Now, make sure, though, that you take note. It's family affection with brotherly love, not creepy affection, okay? Family affection. But then the Scriptures continue. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in the Spirit and serve the Lord. And I want us to zero in today in this section of Scripture on that word honor. The Bible says, outdo one another in showing honor. What does the word honor mean? If you're sitting by somebody, just take about 10 seconds here, and off the top of your head, how would you define the word honor? Ready? Go. Okay, now I'm guessing that a lot of you said something along the lines of respect. How many of you had respect or something like that? A lot of you right here on the front, we've got a whole bunch of, of, of respect there. I appreciate the respect you're sending this way. Well, the Old Testament Hebrew concept, uh, honor means to take seriously. To take seriously with our attitudes and our actions. As you move into the New Testament, that word honor means to value or revere to see as significant even to protect the Louvre in Paris France was originally a palace for King Philip II it's today a famous art museum there are 10 million visitors that visit the museum each year in the museum they have 380,000 objects on display they have 35,000 works of art, the most famous of which? Anybody know? The Mona Lisa. They also have 1,300 security guards, 900 cameras, 2,000 doors, and 5,000 keys. Now, why? Why the elaborate displays? Why the hyper-protection? Well, on one hand, it's because the art is worth a lot of money. But the reason why the art is worth a lot of money is because it's significant. And because the art is significant, they display it with honor. They guard it. They protect it. They even talk in reverent terms about the art there. We honor things that are valuable to us. We honor things that if they are broken, if they are stolen, those things are irreplaceable. We intrinsically honor family. I remember whenever I was in third grade, my mom came home from work one day and one evening. And so as she was getting out of the car, I I was outside and I waved and said, hey, mom, how are you? And, And she was upset with me for some reason. I mean, I was sitting on top of the house. And I'd been jumping off the house all afternoon. My friend John Mark and I, and we'd even uh, piled the leaves together to pad our fall a little bit. And so, you know, hi mom, and I showed her what I'd been doing, and you know, it's, it looked like she was about to have a heart attack, you know, and and she she was upset, and she had her own special way of showing me honor at that time. Okay, but she, I was, I'm significant to her, and so she she wanted to make sure that I was okay, and she felt like jumping off the house was not. Okay, you know, you dads in the audience today, if there were a home invader that came into your house and threatened the well-being of your family, you would fight that individual to the death. You would defend your family's honor. It is intrinsic within us that we honor family and we protect those things which are valuable to us. Well, the scriptures also teach us today that we should honor our church, that within the church... We should outdo one another in showing honor. If somebody tries to stir up trouble, if you hear people verbally tearing other believers apart, if someone begins attacking the sweet fellowship that we enjoy uh, within our church, in defending our church, we defend the honor of our church because our church is valuable to us. It is significant to us. Wednesday night, I I lead a Bible study where we're working through the book of Romans. And last Wednesday night, we worked through chapter 14 in the book of Romans. If you've never read it, it's a really good chapter. And part of the emphasis of the chapter is not being critical, not having that critical spirit where you're always tearing down other people or always judging them or you want grace for yourself, but you're not willing to extend it to somebody else. And so Mark Hamlet, one of our deacons, was sitting in the Bible study, and he he was looking through his scriptures. And at the end of the Bible study, he said, hey, I came across this verse in Proverbs that I've really never thought of in this context before, but it it really spoke to him. And so he read it to us. And the passage says in, in Proverbs 6 and verse 16, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Now that got my attention. The Lord hates this. These things are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. The Lord despises that. When people start gathering in holy huddles, and tearing one another down uh, within the church. The Lord says, this is detestable to me. Now, you would think it would be a no-brainer to defend the honor of your church. Church is where we worship. It's where a lot of us build our foundation for life. It's where some of our uh, deepest friendships are formed. And yet, I, I find it tragic that one of the missing ingredients In many families, in many marriages, one of the missing ingredients in many churches is this one simple, often overlooked word, honor. When honor breaks down, marriages move from intimacy to isolation. When honor begins to break down, a family moves from unity to resentment when honor begins to break down, a church moves from service to selfishness. We don't talk a lot about honor in our culture, but in the scriptures, honor is of extreme importance. In fact, within the Ten Commandments, honor is emphasized. As the Ten Commandments move transition from our revering God, and begin to talk about our relationships with one another, the Ten Commandments initially start with this idea, honor your father and your mother so that you may have long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I thought to myself, why is it that God highlights our relationship with our parents. He, he highlights that relationship before he tells us to be faithful to our marriage and, and not to lie and not to covet what doesn't belong to us. Uh, but he begins with this idea that within the family we should have honor. And I think it's because our relationship within the family has a direct link to our relationship to God. In fact, over and over again in the New Testament, God is referred to as our Heavenly Father. And so as, as we act out, as we live out our family relationships here on earth, it, it should mimic and display our own relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, honoring mom and dad and honor within the family is really not that popular these days. You, you watch most television shows, and it, and it seems like it's just taken as a given that the kids in the home will be disrespectful, that dad is some bumbling, overgrown kid who can't grow up, and that mom is a, like, like overwhelmed superhero trying to do everything within the family. That's how family honor is often displayed to us. Uh, within psychology, the tendency is to play the blame game. I, I'm i not happy, and it's somebody's fault that I'm not happy. I would be happy had my parents not been so overbearing. I would be more adjusted if I had been potty trained on time. And so we go through all this blame, 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 but the scriptures teach us that our aim within family relationships should not be to blame each other for our hardships, but our aim should be to honor. So let me ask you this question. Within your family, do you honor one another? If you are a child in the home, are you honoring your father and mother? Even a grown adult child, do you still speak of your family with honor? Now you say, this assumes a lot, Lash. It assumes that you know your parents. It assumes that your parents are honorable people. After all, a lot, of time, a lot of times people do things that are dishonorable, and we're supposed to honor them even though they didn't behave in the way that they should. Well, the scriptures say outdo one another in honor. You can't control other people, but you can control yourself. There's a young man that grew up in the church that I pastored in Austin. Uh, he's now married, he has four kids, two of which are adopted. Uh, he's a lawyer. And this week, he, uh, he wrote this story about his own life and his own family situation. He said, in 1977, an 18-year-old girl, newly away from home, got pregnant. She was just starting college, and she had every reason to get a legal abortion. But instead of winding up at a Planned Parenthood, she wound up at a crisis pregnancy center. She heard the gospel and decided on undertaking the difficult task of taking a pregnancy to term. At the end of that pregnancy, she gave me to Buckner Baptist Adoption Agency. And three days later, I was with my parents. He continued to write. In 2012, a mentally challenged woman met a guy at a club. He impregnated her. She didn't realize what had happened until it was nearly time to deliver the baby. Otherwise, every pressure would have been on her to abort the baby. But seven days after he was born, Bethany and I picked up our son from the hospital now this young man kevin he he never met his birth mother he didn't grow up in her home he wasn't nurtured by her in fact he could have even felt abandoned by her but instead he was thankful for the decision that she made to give him birth and as a grown man now taking the time to honor her honor your father and your mother if you're a parent If you're a grandparent, you have responsibilities. You have a responsibility to do your best to bring the life into the world as healthy as possible. You have the responsibility to do your best to nurture those children in your home, to teach them right and wrong and make sure that they learn the various lessons that they need to learn along the way. You have a responsibility to train those children in the way of the Lord to train them to love God with their heart and to love one another and to love others. And you have a responsibility to care for them and make sure that their needs are met to the best of your ability. And if you are a child in the home, the scriptures teach us that we are to obey the authority of our parents. When you're under their roof and you're in the home and you're growing up, the scriptures teach you, obey your parents. And as you go on in life and you become a self-sustaining individual yourself, you have a lifetime commitment to honor your family, to honor your parents, and to treat them with the dignity and respect and the gratitude that they deserve. Again, I realize that not everybody is honorable, but the Scriptures teach us to outdo one another in honor. They also teach us that whenever we have honor in our family, that it's a command that comes with promises. In Exodus 20, whenever we have honor within the family, the scriptures teach us that there will be longevity, that you may dwell for many years within the land. Over in Deuteronomy, the scriptures teach us that whenever family has honor, when life and family are honored and those relationships are honored, that there will be stability within the nation over in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6 it teaches us that whenever children respect the authority of their parents it's the right thing to do you are walking in righteousness in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20 the scriptures teach us that when we have honor within our family that that in turn brings honor to God in our church the bible teaches us to outdo one another in showing honor Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, the next verse here, says, th- says this. Do not lack diligence, be fervent in the Spirit, and serve the Lord. And I think in some ways, verse 11 modifies verse 10. Paul teaches us in verse 10, Show brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And then in verse 11, he begins to describe what it's going to look like when we have honor within the church. When we have honor within the church, we will not lack in diligence, we'll be fervent in the Spirit, and we will serve the Lord. So let's talk about these three ways of having honor here in our church. Do not lack in diligence. That word diligence, when you break it down, means earnest, careful care. We are, too, as a church, Be careful and earnest to care about one another. Let me ask you, are you praying for each other? As a church that cares about each other, we need to be lifting each other up in prayer. When people go through difficult times, reach out to them. Try to be an encouragement. Do your best. I know you can't take away people's troubles, but you can try to be there with them in the troubles. You can pray for them and you can be a, a source for them to talk to, a source of encouragement because we earnestly take time to be diligent in our care. We can care for the well-being of our church, care for uh, the financial well-being of the church, care for the campus that we have. Whenever you walk by trash on the ground, you don't say to yourself, you know what, um, Lash ought to pick that up. Uh, instead, you say, you know what, I'm going to pick up the trash because th- th- this is my church and I, I care for the well-being of my church. You care for uh, the gathering of our church for worship, making that a priority within your life to be a part of our worship gatherings. We, we live in this age where we have more connectivity than ever before, and along with that comes more mobilization and more awareness And so there's a sociological phenomenon that churches are trying to catch up to, and that is that people are just gone more. They're traveling more. They're doing more. They're aware of more. Uh, GPS makes it where you're not afraid to go to a foreign city, and so you you go there, you stay there. And so uh, the the person that used to attend church four times a week or four times a month, you're like, wow, that's super Christian, four times a month, now may attend three times a month, and three times a month, two times a month, and on on down. And so I, I want to encourage you. I, I understand that you go different places, and you're involved in different things, and you have a lot going on in your life. But I want to encourage you to care about being here. Care about the well-being of your church. Care about the gathering of your church for worship. When you come together with people in your community to worship God, that is one of the most beautiful things that we do within our communities. Care about what's going on. I am going to try in the coming months to make less announcements. Yes, okay. I'm going to try to make less announcements, all right, so that we can do more singing, preaching, praying, you know, church things. But I need you to read. I need you to read about what's going on. I need you to, to when we do something that's a church-wide event, to, to be there and, and to support it and to make sure that you care about the well-being of your church by participation. The scriptures say, do not lack diligence. Then they tell us to be fervent in the spirit. Now, I don't believe that any of us probably use that term very often. Hey, children, it's time to get up. Now, today, I want you to be fervent in the spirit. So for a lot of us, that's kind of a foreign term. What does it mean to be fervent in the spirit? Well, let me ask you this. How did you react when Des Bryant caught the ball, tucked it in, took three steps, and extended it for the end zone. How did you react at that time? I don't know about you, but I was on my feet. I was fervent in the spirit. My hands were even lifted. And I'm a Baptist, you know? I I'm, was I'm like, yeah, way to go, Des Bryant. I mean, I, I was excited about that moment. Now, how did you react when the referees got out their protractors and they dusted off some old rule and they decided that what was clearly a catch to even a four year old watching the game was actually an incomplete pass? How did you react at that ta- time? How many of you yelled? How many of you yelled at the TV? It's okay, confession's good for the soul. Don't tell me what you yelled, okay? <laughs> There's some things that, as your pastor, I don't need to know, okay? Keep that in mind when you're posting on Facebook also, all right? But uh, those reactions, those emotional moments, that's being fervent in the Spirit. And the Scriptures teach us that whenever we gather for worship, when we come to church, that we're to be fervent in the Spirit. Whenever we come into this place, it's not supposed to be like, hey, did somebody pass away? Are we at a funeral? There's supposed to be a fervency, an excitement because we are gathering to worship God and hear from God. We have this little saying around here, come early, be friendly, worship loudly. And it's it's just a practical saying about being fervent in the spirit that you get up on Sunday morning and you don't ask the question, uh, are we going to church? Because you've already decided on Sundays, we go to church. When we're in town and we're able, we go to church. So you get up, uh, you're here on time, you're in your seat. Whenever the music starts, you're, you're singing loudly. Whenever you see your friends, you're friendly. Whenever new people walk into the church, you're friendly so that whenever people come into the doors of Murphy Road, they don't feel like it's a cold, dead place. But the people there, man, they're friendly and, and they really sing and they worship and There's there's a fervency in what we do. Be diligent, be fervent. And then there's a third thing that the scriptures teach us that we can do to outdo one another in honor. Serve the Lord. What's the greatest thing you could do for the health of your marriage? What's the greatest thing you can do for the health of your family, for the health of your church, for the health of your community, for the health of your country? One of the greatest things that you can do is to make that move from selfishness to service. As long as you approach all those avenues of life as, what's in it for me? What are they giving me? Who's serving me? As long as you're approaching those various avenues of life that way, you're always going to be unhappy. Nobody's ever going to be able to measure up. Uh, You'll have stuff come your way, but you'll never have true lasting joy. But when you begin moving from, instead of you serving me, I want to be of service to you. I want to care about your well-being. I want to care about my community, my church, my country. I want to be a person of service. That's when we really begin connecting our life with purpose. And we begin finding that joy that, that is so elusive. Now, let's remember something in the passage. The passage tells us to serve the Lord. Whenever you become a person of service... People won't always get it. People won't always get you. Sometimes they may even say hurtful words. Be critical of you. Sometimes nobody will applaud. You'll work real hard. You'll, you'll try. You're, you're, you're pouring your heart out in service, and nobody says good job. Nobody applauds. And you're like, well, shouldn't they at least care? Well, yeah, they should care. But at the same time, we're all human. And we all need grace in our life. And because we all need grace in our lives, we also have to be willing to extend grace to others. And we have to remember the simple truth. We serve the Lord. And there's one thing about the Lord, and that is that he always sees. He always applauds. He always notices the service of his children. I just can't figure it out, Lash. Why isn't my home an enjoyable place? I can't figure it out. Why am I always fighting with my spouse? I, something's just missing. I mean, we love each other. We're committed to each other. We've got plenty of stuff. I mean, yeah, sure, there's stuff that I would like, but we really have everything we need. What's missing? It could be that that missing ingredient is that often forgotten word, honor. Honor. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? During this next song, the band's going to play and sing, and you can sing with them. We also invite you to make this a time of prayer. You can pray there at your seat. Maybe you want to be seated while others are singing around you. You can come here to the front and pray here at the front. I always stand up here on the front row. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, help you with, it is my honor as your pastor to pray for you, encourage you, help you in your spiritual journey. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Christ, and I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for these friends that I have in this room. Thankful for the relationships that we share. Pray, Lord, that we won't take each other for granted. Pray, Lord, that we will extend honor to each other. Help us to value one another, to appreciate one another. Help us, Lord, to see the good in each other and not just see the bad. Father, I pray for marriages. I pray for families, families that are desperately seeking that that elusive quality of joy. I pray that within our homes there will be honor. I pray that you will help us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that the words that we speak, the attitudes that we harbor, the actions that we display, that they will all exhibit a godly honor. Help us, Lord, even when people are not honorable towards us, that we might respond with honor towards them. And I pray, Lord, for healing in marriages and in families. I pray, Father, for healing within our communities. I pray, Lord, that we might honor you in everything. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.